Hannah Gold grew up in a family surrounded by books and animals. In childhood, she developed a love of the natural world and this respect for animals and care of the environment infused her debut novel, The Last Bear. It's a gentle, heartwarming love story about the special relationship that can exist between humans and animals and about the responsibility that we all share for preserving their habitats. It gives me great pleasure to welcome into the reading corner, Hannah Gold. Thank you so much for having me, Nikki. It's so lovely to be here. So this is a really heartwarming, sweet story. And I mean that in the best possible way. It's a story full of um, emotion. And I think we need to tell our listeners a little bit about it. So I'm going to hand over to you, actually, to to summarise the story of The Last Bear. Yeah, ask a writer to summarise, and then like half an hour later, they're still rambling on with the whole plot. But essentially, it's the story of an 11-year-old girl called April, and she and her scientist father go to this remote Arctic outpost for six months one summer, and he's there to measure the weather and the changing temperatures in the Arctic. And the island is called Bear Island, so-called because of the polar bears which once lived there. But there are no polar bears left on Bear Island so she's told. But then one night, April spots something distinctly bear-shaped looping across the horizon. And so begins this really magical friendship with the polar bear, who's called Bear. And then the adventure where she sets out to try to rescue and save him. And also the story is set uh, against a family um, experience of loss, uh, which is a theme that Uh, runs through the story no doubt we'll get the chance to talk about that Uh, but April's mother has died and her father even though it's it's seven years before the story takes place uh, it's a loss that he hasn't come to terms with yeah he's a distant father he's he's detached he loves April but he's probably forgotten how to show that love and so in that absence she's grown up very much a loner very self-sufficient. She doesn't necessarily miss the love, but she's come to terms with it. And that whole theme of grief and loss does, I didn't actually really consciously write it like that, but I think that theme of loss runs through the book because we've got the loss of the habitat. We've got the loss of, you know, this love. And so, yeah, it is a, it is a strong sort of undercurrent to the book. Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you how all the threads of the story came together. Were you initially wanting to write about an environmental issue or was it a love of polar bears (laughs) or was it the girl's story or did they all just come from one moment of inspiration? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. When I decided I wanted to write a children's book, it was something I'd really wanted to do for such a long time, but I've been putting off because I think I was a bit scared about going for the dream. But then, you know, personal readers in my life, I was just kind of like, it's now or never. And so then it was like, well, what children's book do I want to write? And I thought, I'm just going to write about everything that I really love. Because in the past, with previous YA books that I'd written, I'd probably tried to fit into what I thought agents wanted Um, and was sort of being someone I wasn't necessarily was and so with this book with The Last Bear I thought I'm just going to be me and it was like a self-acceptance in that it was kind of like who am I I'm someone that really loves animals I'm I'm quite sensitive I'm really passionate about the planet 
um, I really love the relationship that humans, but particularly children, have with animals. I thought, you know what, I'm just going to write about the things that I love. And that was the starting point. I don't even remember when the whole polar bear came to me, but in the author's note, I say literally there he was one day looking at me with his kind of dark chocolate eyes. And there was a story he had to tell. And it was true. It felt like, oh my gosh, I've been given this story and I'm the person to tell it. And it was only when I researched what I don't think you can write a book about polar bears now without talking about their loss of habitat. So it was only when I researched where to set the book and I stumbled across Bear Island and I looked into the the loss of the ice caps that it then became this climate fiction book. And that's mm-hmm. how it kind of all pulled together. And then the, the, the sort of relationship dynamic was basically I wanted like a singular family dynamic I didn't want a family I wanted to explore the the daughter and the father um, and I thought that would be more interesting. Mm. I want to get into the geography a little bit so this is Bear Island is in with, within the Arctic Circle mm-hmm. and is it towards that area the kind of Alaska that side of things? It's interesting because I, I was looking at where to set the book <laughs> and I literally had the map of the whole Arctic. And this part, I probably didn't even know that, uh, that polar bears lived in the Arctic and not in the Antarctic. So I was that naive. <laughs> and then when I looked at the map, this tiny island called Bear Island jumped out. And so it's not Alaska, Canada way. It's actually more Europe way. So it's halfway between the mainland of Norway and then an archipelago of islands which also belong to Norway called Svalbard which is much closer to the North Pole and so Bear Island was actually called Bear Island because I, I can't I haven't got the date it's actually in the book it might be 17 something I think that you know when when these polar sort of expeditions used to go off in the whaling expeditions they found Bear Island and it was teeming with these polar bears and then this, I think it was a Dutch guy, he literally fought with a polar bear for something like two days or two hours. I can't remember what it was. And that's when they called it Bear Island. I want to talk a little bit about the characters and the relationships between them. Let's start with April, your self-sufficient, independent, courageous, although she yeah. finds greater courage through the story. Um I wondered whether you shared any qualities with her, what you admire in her, and whether there's anything that you wish you were more like. <laughs> yeah, well, I think she's definitely braver than I am, because I think in real life I would never advise going up to a wild polar bear and attempting to feed him peanut butter, which is what happens in the book. And so she's very brave. But I also, like when I wrote her, I was really interested in a female character who was quieter, who was more sensitive who was more emotionally led rather than being someone that was kind of like gutsy or outwardly confident. I'm, I'm quite interested in quiet, in quiet children, actually in, in sort of sensitive children. And that's probably who I was as a child. I didn't, I was shy. I didn't necessarily speak up for myself. I didn't like talking in class. If someone asked me a question, I'd probably go bright red. And, but I had like this real deep feelings and that's what I wanted to give April, this the, the emotional heart that she's got, but also the sensitivity to the outside world and to animals and to her father's emotions and allow her to grow in, in, in stature throughout the book to find her confidence and her voice and know that she's, yeah, she can make a difference. She's incredibly intuitive. 
And uh, she reminded me quite a lot of my brother, actually, who I swear could talk to animals. He could just intuit things about me. It's a wonderful quality. Yeah, I love, I love, I think that's the other thing I wanted to get in that love of animals. It was like when I was April's age or younger, I, you know, I had pets and I would come home and they were like my best friends. And if I had a bad day at school, I would probably cry into their fur and they would make it better for me. And I wanted her to have that same relationship where quite often children might feel safer with animals mm-hmm. and they might be able to feel something with them, which they might not feel confident or brave enough to feel around adults and I really wanted to explore that that just that mysterious magical bond that some children have with animals which is completely unspoken but why a pet will sometimes follow a particular child around so so faithfully so there's this big story but it's also a love story and it's definitely a story about emotion and about feeling and it got me thinking about the different ways in which you've had to work as a writer to show that um, for April, for the bear and for the father, you are getting to the emotional heart of each of those characters. The techniques that you've had to use to do that are very different across all three of them. Um, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about that. I think going back to what I said at the beginning, it was like that permission to myself to be myself on the page. I remember like when I submitted previous YA novels and one agent said my writing was too sentimental. And that really hurt me because I thought she was criticizing me for being sentimental. And in my head it felt like, well, sentimental was a bad thing to be. And it wasn't until I started writing this book that I thought, what if I explore my emotions in the book in a way that maybe I hadn't dared to before and I really think that is kind of what sets the book out and I really love that part of the book but in terms of the techniques it was I think some emotions were so big and so overwhelming when I was younger I I didn't have the ability to consciously deal with them so what I chose with April was to describe emotions in such a way to compare to things which were big so I think we talk about you know like a tsunami or a volcano or something like that we we choose these really big huge things that she's feeling and allow her to express them that way and with the father it's just a lot quieter and, and distant and Bear was probably the character that I put the most not even work, but the most focus into to make. I didn't actually even consciously research polar bears at all. I didn't want the book to be factual of like, well, the polar bear pore is 30 centimetres across and you can smell their prey up to 15 miles. I don't put any real stats in. I really wanted to make him as real and as personable as possible. So the reader creates a real relationship with him and can buy into that relationship that he has with April. You talked about the father a little bit as not showing his love, but I felt that that connection between him and April, even though they were distant, I could sense her care for him in yeah. a way she's becoming the parent as well. Yeah. And I think I think he shows his care in act in actions. Like he when they have that argument in the book and he makes her, you know, the hot chocolate. And then, you know, he gives her his favourite sweets. He's he's an action-led kind of um, father rather than a words dialogue father. He reminded me of another father that will be familiar to many readers of children's literature, particularly picture books. And that's a character in Anthony Brown's Gorilla, 
uh, where the girl, again, we don't know, but we think there's been a loss in the family. The father's busy working. And what this young girl wants more than anything in the world is a gorilla. <laughs> uh, and she's given a toy gorilla uh, for her birthday, which comes to life overnight. And they go off and have adventures together. And in a way, the gorilla stands in for the father until the father can become a father to her again. And that's the feeling that I got from your relationship with the girl and the bear, that really it's partly the longing for the father. Yeah, it's a longing for connection, I think, in that absence of love and that void. You know, she just, you know, she hasn't got a mother and she's just really wanting somebody to love and that's what she craves she she, you know she's not necessarily got close friends at school because she's a little bit different so yeah you're right you know bear becomes her protector you know he becomes her best friend it becomes her confidant it becomes her playmate she really wanted to go to the island to have you know to have fun dad promised her we're gonna go we're gonna do these things and he he gets so caught up in work that they don't do these things so suddenly she's got this huge relationship with bear where she could do the things that she really wanted to do with dad so you're right he does step in and become that and and also like the best friend that she'll never ever forget did you have as you were writing this did you have knowledge of other stories of young girls and polar bears because there is a tradition of them isn't there stretching back to norwegian folklore and that wonderful story east of the sun and west of the moon Right through to Philip Pullman, I think. People look at my cover and go, oh, look, Philip Pullman. It's like, no, it's not. It's Hannah Gold. Um, I had, like, awareness of probably more the relationships that children have with animals in fiction, not necessarily polar bears. But having written a book about a polar bear, I've become much more conscious of other bear stories out there and I was thinking about you know this because it's almost just like this this small vulnerable child and this huge magnificent regal bear and they're such an odd pairing but in some ways they really mirror each other because the bear brings out the child's courage and the bear heart and the roar which is a real big sort of symbol of my book but the child brings out the polar bear's vulnerability Um, and its softness and I also think talking about the climate change element it's like the polar bear is such a symbol of climate change when we see this magnificent polar bear we're literally stripping him of his essence there's something about him being reduced down there as well which I think children would really be able to relate to. Now you Sorry, it's a pun coming up. I can feel it. Um, <laughs> you struck gold <laughs> with your illustrator, Levi Pinfold. And I've just seen the illustrations for the first time today. I'm a huge admirer of Levi Pinfold's work. And he's just done an amazing job with your story. Um, what were your feelings when you saw the illustration for the first time? And what do you think it brought to the book The cover was obviously the first thing I saw. And, you know, you always get nervous about the cover as an author. Maybe I'm not going to like it as much as they want me to like it. But there was nothing to dislike about the cover. I mean, the cover's just so stunning. And what I particularly like about his work is the level of detail and love that he puts into. He doesn't just kind of whip out a drawing. It's like this book came from my heart and it's a real love letter. And I felt like he's really captured that as well. And I love 
particularly of the illustrations in the interior of the book, you know, you've got this sort of sweeping bare Arctic landscape and quite often some of the illustrations are double spread. So you see, you see it across the page and you see the breadth of it. And then sometimes you'll get an illustration where it's just focusing on Bear and April. And he's really captured like the tenderness and the sweetness and, and the love between them. So I feel that they completely complement the book. I'm still in awe because obviously, you know, I'm a debut and he's a much bigger name than me. So just to, to have him in the book is kind of like, oh, my God, you know, I'm sort of slightly giddy about it. But it just I just think it's a really beautiful book. He's just made it just such a beautiful book. Was it the art director who decided where illustrations were going? Did you have any part of that conversation? The art director decides where the illustrations are going to go. And then they sent me a rough copy for approval. And I just corrected some of the factual detail, like dad should be wearing glasses here, etc. And there should be a chimney there. Um, and I suggested one illustration. And that's the one where Bear is teaching April how to listen to the earth. And I thought that was such a key moment of the whole book in terms of it sums up the relationship that I want children to take from it in terms of learning to respect the earth and learning to listen to the earth and learning to form a relationship with the earth I requested that one put in and so they did <laughs> it's wonderful I wanted to ask you a little bit about music April's father's always listening to Mozart hmm. Mozart is and I think you say you know it's music written with the heart rather than the head so I was just curious to know whether you're a, a huge Mozart fan yourself no you know what I, I, I did take some things from my parents so my mum is the one that really likes Annecy Candy and my dad is the one that listens to classical music and Mozart so I borrowed those elements from my own parents and put them in and I wanted to give dad you know I wanted to soften him I suppose and give him this rather he's just reading books the whole time I wanted to give him this love of music which lent this more sort of creative artistic side to him or an emotional side that he couldn't necessarily express to his daughter. So you've not yet had the chance to read this to to an audience. Um, you've not read it to any children yet, but you are going to read something for us, aren't you? I am. And you know what, Nikki, I'm going to read from the moment where April 1st sees Bear. So she's been on the island about two three days she thinks she spotted him from her bedroom bedroom window but she's not entirely sure so she goes out hunting for him and then we come to this moment so she's heard a noise and then the noise came again much closer now this time so fierce and loud and frightening it sent a shiver down her spine even if she wanted to run away she couldn't instead she became rooted to the ground as every nerve in her body hummed and buzzed like electricity. It was as if time suddenly froze, or at least slowed down. The air itself felt sharp and still. The wind stopped. Even the sea held its breath. And April knew if she looked up, her life would never be the same again. That this moment itself was going to alter her in some way, maybe even forever. She slowly raised her eyes. And there, standing on the other side of the beach, about 50 metres away, was the most magnificent creature she had ever seen. 
it's a story that left me with a very warm-hearted feeling. I'm not going to spoil the ending. April's life is changed forever. I rather suspect she will go back to Svalbard at some point. Yeah, in my head, she's definitely going back. And she has to, because one of the things about April, and, and probably for the teachers listening and librarians, is that I really wanted to write a book which helped children feel like it's not too late to make a difference. I think when we talk about climate change, some of the books in the past have been dystopian. But I really wanted to write a book which gave this message of hope and was really heartwarming and and did have a lot of joy and love in it. So for me, that's the primary message of the book. And it's not even a message because I'd love teachers to use it in a way where they can facilitate change in the classroom and say, how can we live more you know, in a more eco-conscious way, what steps can we take together as a class to do this and make children feel empowered in, in the choices that they're making in terms of facing a healthier, sustainable future where where possibly they could save a polar bear? Yeah, it's a really good message for us to end on. And I think at the end of the book, she talks to the adults about it being everybody's responsibility Uh, You do it, but you tell a great story at the same time. So thank you so much, Hannah, for talking to me today. Thank you. In the Reading Corner is presented by Nikki Gamble and produced by Alison Hughes. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please do leave a review for us. To find out about other projects, including an audience with events and the Exploring Children's Literature Summer School, visit www.exploringchildrensliterature.uk. Join us again soon in the Reading Corner on your favourite podcast platform.